All right, everybody, welcome back to Derek's Discussions, episode 34. This is the second episode of season three with Jared. Jared, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. It's a snow day here in Poughkeepsie. Uh, really clutch, needed this kind of break. And um, what's going to be a, a long, um, long uh, rest of the semester. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you're going to be graduating soon. So what are your plans uh, kind of after college? Yeah, so, you know, I've done a lot of social media with my prior experiences, and I I really want to go in that route, and to combine that with sports is the most ideal, um, but I've been applying to, you know, sports social media jobs and social media jobs outside of sports in case I want to work my way up, have a resume first, and then translate it back to sports, but I'm also really good at video editing, graphic design, so I've applied to a couple of those at types jobs at like MLB, uh, Fox Sports, NBC Sports. So I'm um, hoping to have something lined up after graduation. Um, but, you know, it could be freelance stuff going forward. But um, I think that I'm confident in landing something post-college. Mm. And then like down the road, like let's just say 10, 20 years down the road, is there a specific job that you necessarily, you know, want to have? like like a dream job at all or or is it just kind of get into the industry and kind of figure out figure out things as they go i would say a dream job definitely be like running social media for the new york mets i mean they're my team you can see the lindor pennant in the background rocking a jersey right now um and you know social media to me is just it, it combines everything that i enjoy doing graphic design video editing um, some camera work and it's just I think it's the it's the, honestly the future it's the present of communicating with fans connecting players to the game so if I could do it for my favorite team that would be dope down the line and then obviously you kind of mentioned getting into the you know sports sports media side but more social media you know what is kind of the you know impact of you know sports just in your life well I I played baseball since I was about like seven years old in t-ball and played on tournament teams travel teams and then got to play uh varsity ball in high school and that was really fun maybe some of my closest friends doing that and when i found out i could have a career in sports i jumped right on that um and i think sports are just so powerful in that it tells a story every time and specifically social media and sports like you never know what's going to happen the next day which keeps the job interesting. Like, you know, just today alone, Kennedy Gallaudet gets cut for the Giants. And like, you know, we all saw that coming, but now people can report on that. People can make memes about that. So you just never know what the next step of that is. And, you know, you never know the outcome of the games as well. So it's all about preparation, thinking in the moment and just being creative to tell a story. Yeah. And then obviously your perspective is probably completely different um, than mine, but like when watching a, uh you know, a sporting event, like a, just a regular game, like your team is not involved. Like, what are you looking for? Cause obviously you talk about, you know, yourself doing camera work. You've also done editing and stuff like that. So like, what are you, what are you looking for? You know, I, I point out a couple of times when like there's been an editing mistake, like if like something dissolves too quickly or like there's a big like space in like audio, I'll be like, Oh, someone's getting yelled at for that. Um, that's because, you know, I was, I had an internship at SNY. They, they broadcast the Mets games and I was in the truck and I saw how intense it was. Um, and when I'm looking at other games, it's, it's interesting because, you know, in the back of my mind, 
like for especially for um my internship at Fansview right now, social media, I would sit on the couch on Sundays watching Red Zone and just like thinking of like the best clips that I could possibly do. And we we were successful in some someone viral like I had like a Justin Fields like one game he threw at, at this at the bear and not the Bears but the opposing team's defense the helmet like three times mm-hmm. and I like just video recorded it off the TV and it got like a hundred thousand views on TikTok so stuff like that is just like trying to find either like a highlight play or um, something that could be memeable is like what I was looking for and then when I'm not on the job just you know trying to enjoy the game as much as I can. Would you say? kind of your mindset is more geared towards social media in the sense when watching a game than kind of the overall broadcast itself and kind of explain like obviously you mentioned looking for that you know tiktok looking for that you know play for tiktok or or whatever like what do you like what are you looking for obviously you're looking for something that's going to stand out to the viewer but Mm -hmm. is there a specific like thing or is it just kind of like all like is it all mostly instincts so it is instincts in a sense you just gotta like know what to like if you feel like something could be funny or that people would talk about it like you know if you're in like a group chat with some friends and talking about sports like oh my gosh you just see that like that's something you probably want to share online and um like for example i was watching lebron he did his you know his point uh he broke kareem Abdul's record and he dropped the f-bomb on live television i clipped that send that to my bosses and they posted it and it's just like capitalizing on the moments like that, where it's like, oh, I feel like this would, you know, be people would want to share this or people would, uh, you know, like this content. Like, no, obviously you're going to, you know, highlight plays are always going to, you know, be interesting. Um, but that's for the jobs of like Sports Center, Bleacher Report, you know, they they already have a good following. So when you're like a small social media account with only a thousand followers, you got to like think of, other things that might pop and that's some things that might go unnoticed by other people and like once um we had the, for the Bengals playoff game against the ravens um they had the ravens fumbled the ball at the one yard line and the defensive end took it to the all the way to the end zone um and in the post-game interview the reporter said um you know this must be like your first game ball you know like because he's mm-hmm. on defense and it was kind of like a side disc so we like clipped that and we know, I mean, it did pretty good on TikTok and Instagram's reels. So, you know, that wasn't really in like, you weren't seeing like, you know, ESPN post that, but it did, it still did well. Mm-hmm. And then would you say like your mindset just on sports um, is different um, since COVID? Obviously COVID happened kind of now, it seems like it happened a while ago, but it only happened, you know, two, two years ago. So would you say your mindset on sports is any different than it was beforehand? I think that maybe we as like society, like I catch myself on my phone a lot during games, which, you know, maybe prior, um, you know, I was more intense, you know, direct to the game. But I feel like um, just like our attention span since COVID is probably shorter for games. Oh, yeah. Um, Even like, you know, I feel like for some reason, Ever since the pandemic, I've watched less less NBA and just more catching up on it. Um, don't know what the correlation is, but I just I used to watch a bunch of like just random games like on you know, the TNT games, but now I don't find myself having enough time to, to watch a whole NBA game. Um, but you know, baseball still like 
my number one sport and I was happy and I was happy to follow along the Giants this year as they did really well. So I feel like since the pandemic, my teams had except except for last year, my teams were a lot better this year, which definitely helped the viewing experience. Yeah, I think I think kind of the I think your point on just attention span, I think that's huge. Uh I feel like at least from a sports, you know, kind of perspective, I feel like it's kind of lost in the sense of like yeah. I used to like every Saturday, like before the pandemic, like maybe it's just because, you know, now I'm in college and whatnot, but like I would sit down every Saturday and watch, you know, college football from like mm-hmm. 9 a.m. to like 11 o'clock at night. Like now mm-hmm. it's just like, can I even watch one full game? It's more right. just fine highlights and stuff like that. Um, but like what got you into, you know, sports? Um. I would say just, first of all, like my dad, like uh, convinced me to play baseball, Um, not convinced me, but, you know, he allowed me to play baseball and he was my coach in youth league for a while. Um, And he showed me the Mets and I, you know, I fell in love, I had this Mets um, 2006, like kind of like DVD when they went all the way to the NLCS and Andy Chavez made the cash, had Reyes and David Wright. And that got me really excited and interested in baseball. And then I just would watch, you know, instead of watching cartoons, like I say this in all my cover letters, almost like I watched either, you know, MLB Network Quick Pitch or Sports Center in the morning. Um, you know, I wasn't watching really the, the cartoons and uh, that's translated into, you know, a career for me and getting paid to watch sports sometimes feels, you know, wrong, but it's also really cool. And it could also be very stressful, especially because, like I said before, anything could happen. So, like, I could be out with friends, something major happens, I might have to just go on my phone for 20 minutes and try to video edit on uh, my phone. Um, It depends how, you know, important the situation is. But sports, really big part of my life. Yeah, I think think sports is pretty much... There's argument if sports are more important to society than politics. It's really tough to say, you know, which one might be more important. I think it's either way, it's pretty close. Um, But, you know, going back kind of like, what would you say, you know, one thing you'd want like the the normal viewer of of this podcast would uh, what would you like to tell that that person? I tell that person to try to do as much as you can on when I, when you, if you go, if you're looking for Korean sports, you know, as much as you can on your college campus or outside that. And when you have a connection to not abuse that connection, but use that connection to your advantage. Um, when I got to Marist, first thing I did was talk to the Red Fox network and that connected me with their director where I was volunteering, I mean, wasn't paid, I was volunteering to film the, the games here. And then eventually, before COVID, I got like a, a job, I only did it a couple times, but I was editing, you know, the baseball games, blogging it essentially. And then COVID happened, the director left, and I got an opportunity to um, do social media at Center Field. Um, because I reached out to my advisor, shout out Leander, and I was like, I'm interested in social media. And then he was like, there's an opening at Center Field. And, you know, with that, I was able to grow the Twitter, grow the Instagram. You know, our Instagram's about to 
it's almost at 500 followers and we just got to 400 like beginning of the semester um and then with that um i had a professor his name is uh bailey carlin a social media professor um adjunct he's done great work with dave and busters chris bosch's personal account guy fieri and um he knew the sny social media manager he'd send him a little text you know hyping me up and I ended up getting an internship with them so i just feel like you got to be uh, lucky but also try to do everything you can and it can be busy but um it's it's important to try new things and try things that you know interest you because you know i'm i might not you know i, I love filming the games at the red fox network um what i do that as a career probably not but it's still really fun and it was a great opportunity to level up in a sense did you know kind of at a young age that you wanted to be in number one that you wanted to be in the sports kind of media field and then two like what was the impact of kind of social media on your life um i didn't really i don't i didn't really know what i was going to do in college for a while i was looking at like my you know my dad is a wedding videographer editor so i had some like experience filming weddings and editing for like his work at like a young age like in middle school um but i i didn't realize sports could be a career and when i was looking at college i was looking at film school not not the film school but like film tv production mm-hmm. um and i was looking you know I love math. I was on the math team in middle school, you know, kind of a nerd, but I'm um, looking at architecture, design of that class. But at the end of the day, I was like, there's a sports, you know, there's an opportunity to work in sports with doing the things I love, which is like editing, creating content. Um, you know, I had, I, I say interviews a lot that, you know, I creating content's my passion. I used to I made YouTube channels when I was, you know, in sixth grade playing Minecraft. And then, you know, it's all like just about creating content and, you know, social media, you know, I'm not, I don't have the biggest following on social media. You know, I don't really tweet from my personal account often. I don't post on Instagram often, you know, but the idea of creating content specifically for social media in kind of like a short form, you know, quick to the point really intrigued me. And um, just like how I was saying, like social media needs graphic design, needs video editing, it needs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some video in its own self. So that really just drove me to it. And, you know, social media, I, I've seen it, you know, it just connects me like no other and stuff could, could go viral stuff can not. And it's just, it's just a overall, a great tool of communication. Mm-hmm. All right, now moving on to part two of Derek's discussions, just talking sports. Obviously, you know, you kind of mentioned after COVID, you know, the normal person's kind of attention span has kind of gone down, which is kind of a huge factor of kind of Major League Baseball trying to speed up the game. You know, there's the pitch clock. The bases doesn't really do anything from a, um, you know, time span, you know, situation, but they obviously increase the bases, but – First, we'll talk pitch clock. You know, what are your thoughts on the pitch clock as a whole? As a whole, honestly, it was needed. And, you know, maybe maybe 15 might be too fast. Maybe up to 20 seconds 
um, between each pitch because looking at those first couple videos that were on social, that are on social, I was like, wow, that is fast. And being that I played baseball before, it looked like I had no time to, you know, regroup in between pitches, but that could also be a positive thing as, you know, sometimes you think too much. So honestly, it was needed and it's the results I've shown so far, like the games are 30 minutes or less. Um, there's, there just seems to be like more going on, less like stole, like the stalling time. And I honestly feel bad for broadcasters. I feel like they can't finish their thoughts anymore. Um, and it's, it's an adjustment for everyone. But I'm interested to see what, what, what you think about this, Derek. Yeah, I think, first of all, you talk about it going, trimming down to two and a half hours versus three hours. Um, spring training is a little bit longer than the regular season. So I think it's more like it's turned down to like 45 to an hour. Um, I know college baseball has the pitch clock for 20 seconds. So, you know, we'll see if they go to 20 instead of 15. I think it's good, but I also see the downsides. Personally, I'm a fan of it. I think it puts more on the manager in the sense of you want your pitcher to be, you know, faster to the plate. You want batters with a different mindset. And let's be honest, I think baseball is one of those sports where that particular, you know, pitcher, batter, just player in general – you have to have a different mindset than any other sport because if you fail 70% of the time batting, you are a excellent hitter. Like, like you have to be able to, you know, fail and kind of, you know, do a quick, you know, mind check and kind of swing it. But the thing that I like is, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but the Boston Red Sox game, you know, ended in a tie um, because the guy didn't get in the box. Like, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen in the playoffs because I think people are going to be a little bit quicker and understand the rules a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But I think that is not that I want ties in the playoffs because that's just stupid. That's not going to happen. But in the regular season, I'm okay with it because it's 162 games, but like the atmosphere of it's a three, two count, two outs, like he's got to get quick in the box and yeah. like it could be called strike three, like at the t- like not necessarily end the game, but like could mm-hmm. end the game. Like I just think that makes baseball playoffs that more exciting. I mm-hmm. completely understand it from the broadcaster's perspective, but I feel like baseball is one of those sports that it's more it's more geared towards the radio in a mm-hmm. sense, like the play by play kind of like rocks rocks it with the radio. And, you know, on TV, it's just kind of like, so, you know, what are you doing today? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you, what are you going to get after this game? It's kind of, it's not, I don't think it's the best sport for TV. I think it's a lot better for radio. So in the sense, I think it's good. Like I'll watch baseball on TV. It's just like the broadcasters to me, like they're just having a conversation and it just seems too like wide of a variety Mm -hmm. of topics and not like sorely focused on the game as other sports are. What are your thoughts there? Well, you know, I'm blessed as a Mets fan to, I think, have kind of the best, one of the best broadcasters and Gary, Keith, and Ron. Um, they do, a, I think they do a great job. Um, it's interesting how, were you saying that the pitch clock will get more excitement in the playoffs? Yeah, just because, you know, of walk, like a potential walk, a potential strikeout, like there's more mm-hmm. scenarios that can go down you know, with the pitch clock, like adding a ball, adding a strike to me, that just adds like extra, extra energy. 
I guess in that sense, it does add a type bit more like intensity, more like this has to be like, you have to be perfect here. Um, but on the flip side, I've, I've heard from my friends from online how it's going to change the playoff atmosphere for the negative because you're not, they're not going to be able to let that moment build up. You know, there was a, someone made a video of Bryce Harper's home run against the Padres. Yeah. In the mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, took like, in reality, you know, in real life, it took probably like, you know, 40 seconds, you know, cut, cut to Harper breathing in deeply, the pitcher oh. staring down. But in, if we're are we going to have that, I don't know. I, I suggested that we have the home plate umpire, have a little earpiece with MLB, and then they'll be like, all right, wipe off home plate. Give this some time. So he like goes. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that could happen, though, with um that. But I feel like, you know, with this pitch clock, like – I feel like the Bryce Harper, it like, like it's so dramatic. Like it makes it so more dramatic mm-hmm. in the sense of like, yes, like you watch TV shows and like season one, season two, season three, whatever it is, kind of ends dramatically. But like, at least since COVID, people like during COVID, people watch Netflix more often, so they could get episode one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like mm-hmm. all at the same time instead of waiting a week to get the next episode. So I think. It's just a lack of patience, I think, on our society and kind of just like eager to know. And I feel like, yes, I like the tensed moments, but I feel like you can control the tensed moments, if that makes sense of like, yeah, you mentioned umpire, you know, dust it off, you know, get a new ball, like kind of like do that stuff. And like, at least in my opinion, like if it's a strikeout, like let's say Bryce Harper strikes out and let's say Kyle Schwarber's up next. Okay, bases loaded, two outs. Like Kyle Schwarber can kind of take his time to get to the to get to home plate. Mm-hmm. It's just once he gets there, he's got to be more locked in. Right. If, the, if that makes sense, so I feel like you still can do the not that Bryce Harper can you know get get in the box you know blah 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 blah, but like he can take his time you know getting to the plate and then you know getting locked and loaded. That's an interesting analogy with uh you know. Netflix streaming services, how it's there. And, you know, I'm thinking of like other sports, you know, basketball, other than um, timeouts, you know, the game winner happens in this, in 10 seconds. And there's not really, there's not, there's no time to build up and people still love that in football. There's a play clock and, you know, other than timeouts, you can't really hype it up. Like when the chiefs kick the field goal, it's just, all right, here comes a field goal unit in Super Bowl, And know, it wasn't, wasn't any suspense needed to build it up and it was still great so i like your point there um i don't know um how you feel about the other rule the the ball or the pickoff you only get three pickoffs and and then if you're, you fail the third one it's a balk and i think that kind of like growing up playing baseball is kind of crazy because you know i i would pick off a lot and it's hard to pick someone off. So I I see the plus and minuses in that as well. I absolutely love that rule. Um as a base runner, just based on the fact of like the game is too long when the guys just keep continuing to pick them off. One guy in the major leagues that does it consistently and it just irritated me to no return was a Roldis Chapman when he was with the Yankees and I'm a Yankee guy, but like he would just try to pick them off like every single time. It's just like Dude, you haven't thrown a strike like ever. Like, just throw a strike and don't even worry about the runner at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it adds strategy. 
I think, you know, these rule changes add more emphasis on the manager, which personally I like to see. One thing I want to mention, though, is what I feel like is missing in baseball, and I think the bases does it. I miss small ball, billy ball. I think that's something that needs to happen in baseball. I know the Yankees are not necessarily gearing towards it, but like in the sense of like their younger players, if you look at Volpe, you look at Peraza, you look at Dominguez, those guys can steal bases. So I'm looking forward to the future in that sense of like they have speed. But I think these, I, I personally love the bases um, because number one, it's safety. It's a safety precaution. I think right. you're going to see more, not, I don't think it's going to really increase stolen bases as much as everybody says it is because the pitch clock is also an issue. So, like, they're going to be faster to the plate. You know, how are they going to get their jump off and stuff like that? But you also mentioned you counterintuitive that with, um, you know, only throwing it back three times. But I think it's, it's hard no matter what you kind of decide. I think there's so many rules in place at one time. I think yeah. it gets a little complex. I think they should have done a couple at a time and not just throw a hundred rules at a time. Like mm-hmm. the rule is, you know, the pitcher can, you know, throw to third bit, throw to, you know, do a pickoff move like three times or whatever it is. But there's also a time like he can only stop. Like he can only get off the mound like once per batter, like to get right. a, you know, to get like, if, yeah. if like the ball is like, if his hand is like really like moist rosin bag like you can only do that once like i think some of that stuff is a little absurd but i like kind of the basic stuff of like yes i like the pitch clock 15 to 20 it i don't know how much of a difference that makes in terms of time that would be interesting to research that i think let's just say it was 30 minutes and let's say regular seasons, two hours and 15 minutes, just hypothetical here with um 15. I feel like if you go to 20 seconds, it's going to be more like, you know, kind of, you know, the two, two and a half two forty five ish. So mm-hmm. that's like 15, 20 minutes right there. So, I mean, it's really hard to decide what you want to do. I just feel like baseball, is gearing towards the right direction, but I just think there's some rules that baseball has been coming up with that are ridiculous. Like in the minor leagues, I don't know if you remember this, but you know, the batter can challenge balls and strikes. Like that's just Mm. stupid to me. Another rule that not that, not that's been in the area, but people on TikTok and social media have discussed why aren't baseball players able to have the best player in the biggest moments. Like, I don't want to see, you know, bases loaded, two out, bases loaded, no outs. Mike Trout comes up to the plate. You get you yeah. each player has four at bats. He strikes out. He strikes out for his first at bat. Mike Trout is back up again. He strikes out again. Bases loaded, two outs. He gets another at bat. Like that's it's just it's just stupid. Nah, that's, that's not that's, that's not, not baseball. baseball. It's not baseball. Something like that could be cool for like an all-star game, but like I mean, or like just like a quick like not even like not a regular season game, maybe expedition, but leave that to Savannah Bananas. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't like that rule, that like idea of you know, mm-hmm. oh, in basketball you put LeBron has the ball, so that's why they like it. In baseball, the beauty of it is, you know, anyone could get a hit at any time. You know, even if you're a bad hitter, look at Brett Phillips in the World Series against the Dodgers. I mean, you know, no one he was facing a probably probably was Jansen, Kenley Jansen, I assume. And he um 
he got the walk off on a couple of errors and doing that is you know there's a reason why it's nine innings nine batters it's just uh it's clean it's very satisfying um the balls and strike thing is interesting you know i don't personally mind it it looked quick it looked quick and thing and they're if they're talking about a robo ump i i i don't want a robo ump let me just okay, say that okay i don't want a robotic ump but if if they're gonna give if they're gonna like say hey we want to make balls and strikes you know challengeable at least make it so that the player has to do it not the manager um you know they'll leave it out of the dugout it's on the it's on the player and they let's say they have five a, a game and the player gets it wrong the team only has four left so it's a little strategic part of it too and it, it seemed pretty fast um i you know ultimately i wouldn't like it but i think it's gonna they're they're talking about robotic gums which so if they're gonna have something like it might as well put it in the player's hands and leave that human aspect in it yeah, I I agree on the robotic umps. I don't want robotic umps. I think it just ruins the game because you're basically just taking out the human element of baseball. Mm-hmm. And I think in the sense of like you see this happen all the time. Like referees, whatever, they all make mistakes. That's part of the game. Personally as a fan, I want to I want to scream at the ref or at a player of my team. If there's not someone to hate besides just the opponent, like Yes, you hate the opponent and you just want to root against them because you're rooting for your team. But like if the ref makes a bad call, like I'm upset with the ref. I'm not upset with the other team. Like I don't want to just be upset that the other team is good. I want a reason to kind of complain that my team lost instead of like, oh, my team just sucks. Like I, I think the aspect of human element, I think might be the most underrated thing in sports in the sense of like, Let's do technology. That's going to fix the problem. You know, technology works to a certain extent, but someone has to operate that technology. And guess what? People can't really get mad at the technology and they can't get really mad at that person because, I mean, you can, but like nobody's going to scream and yell about strikes and balls, even though the person that operated the technology is doing a terrible job. But like, you can't really argue against the technology. You'll see, like, the umpires will come back from calling New York or whatever, reverse the call, or not reverse the call, and the manager still come out and argue. They're like, hey, it's not my call. It was New York. And, you know, they're right in a sense, but the manager is still mad, and he 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 can't – if it's just a human aspect, you know, he could go to that one umpire, get tossed, and get held back by his teammates. But now it's like, yeah, um, we kind of proved that you're wrong. So <laughs> it takes away that excitement in a sense and takes away that human element as you say like things happen in sports because things aren't called because things are called and they influence a lot um just think like i I know replay has saved a lot of uh you know big moments in the past with like in huge calls like the obvious plays um but sometimes like the when your foot lifts off the bag, when you slide in, it's like, do you really have to like review that? Like, that's just, I mean, you're not going to see that with a naked eye. Yeah. I also think like, um, the, in the sense of if you put so much in technology, like, okay, let's, we're doing balls and strikes. Now, if the manager wants to come out and argue, like there's nothing stopping the umpire just to toss the manager because it's not even his fault. It's the, it's quote unquote the technology's fault in in the um manager manager's viewpoint, and so if you're just doing that, I feel like 
it's honestly like why even have a manager at that point? Because mm -hmm. like the manager can kind of dictate the game through the lineup and stuff like that. But like, let's be honest in baseball, it seems like the front office is doing everything. So oh, yeah. just have a front office and why even have a manager for in-game decisions? If, if they're just going to get tossed, just have like, just basically all you would need is a pitching coach and a first and third base coach. To be honest with you, if, if the manager is just going to get tossed through, you know, that stuff, I mean, probably a bullpen coach too, but like, other than that, you really don't need a manager if they're just going to get tossed. Right. Right. And I'm, I'm, cu I'm curious to know your thoughts about the shift rule as well. Um, because I personally think it's going to be good. I think it's good. Um, I think there's a way that I just don't, I just don't like this. And this is what I'll say. Mm. I don't like an outfielder playing in the infield. Right. Like I think that's an issue. Like I don't necessarily care where the fielders play, play. I agree that it should be two and two, but I think there's an issue when you put an outfielder like into play. I think that's just, it's, it might be the right decision. I just don't think that's baseball. Mm -hmm. But here's what I would say about the rule. I haven't looked detailed into this rule, so I don't know this answer. Um, Like, let's say it's a lefty. Can the shortstop play at second, not at second base, but like just in back of the second base, like, like literally up the middle? Because I've heard rules that he has to be further away. And personally... I think the shortstop should be able to play right at second base, just mm. like obviously like further back necessarily, but like play at second base where he can go both ways instead of, you know, forcing him to be on that side. Because if it's just to where the second baseman normally would play against a righty, like I think that's a ball that the shortstop should get. And that shows athleticism. Yeah. Um, I think what the rule is, is, you have to be towards the side, like your side yeah. of behind the bag. And, you know, I personally wish it wasn't like that because like I was tall in my life, hit up the middle, you know, and there's so many times when you watch a broadcast, your favorite player hits the ball up the middle with runners on base and there's a defender right there. And it's, you know, I get the other aspect of it, you know, learn to hit the ball where they aren't, you know, I, I understand that. Um, but it also takes away, like you said, shortstops are athletic and you know if they're in the right spot all the time you're not going to see them make diving plays all the time or dare cheater jump throws um and it's going to be an interesting adjustment for them as they're gonna to have to cover more ground it's gonna be interesting as to how the managers are going to play it because i feel like again you know it's putting more strategy into the manager's um you know hand of hey we're gonna play um this guy here you know is this gonna benefit joey gallo maybe i mean all those left-handers could benefit that hole shouldn't be as covered it through the second and first base gap um so it's interesting that you know they didn't touch the outfield yet um but it should be interesting to see how where these shifts go and as the great uh john boy from john boy media said take paper out of baseball don't have these people players carry a card tell them where they go because I just feel like that could be um, memorized and also it just looks looks odd like as when you're there in the stands yeah and you know there's been so much you know going on with baseball with all the rule changes and everything it should be interesting to see you know what happens with the shift I know Corey Seager is probably gonna have a good year 
um, with the shift. He was, you know, was supposed to have the best, uh, you know, expected Woba, but obviously didn't have, didn't have it to be very good and didn't have a lot of luck on his side this past season. But overall, baseball season should definitely be interesting. Make sure to tune in for those. I think the pitch clock will make fans a little bit more interested, not necessarily just baseball fans, but fans of pretty much everybody just, you know, tuning into baseball. And I think that's going to be good for the sport after it's kind of declined over the past couple of years um, with viewership. And now we're going to move on to, you know, NFL. Uh, we talked earlier, you know, Kenny Galladay got cut for the Giants. Thank God. Um, you know, you could say, thank God, some people liked Kenny Galladay in the sense that he just didn't get lucky because he had injuries. And, you know, I get it. He didn't perform as he was expected. But, you know, there was a lot of pressure on him. And when you're coming from Detroit to the Giants, you know, I don't I'm not sure he could really do anything in the New York media in the sense of it seemed like he pretty much was the poster boy um, of the New York Giants. But anyways, the Giants have a lot of things to do. You cut Kenny Galladay, which gives you $6.7 million in cap space. You still probably got to re-sign Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley's in need. Uh, you got to figure out what you want to do there. But if you look at that roster, even if they just retain Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, I'm not sure like, yes, you can add all those draft picks and yes, you can improve. Your young players are going to improve, but the giants have a lot of free agents. Another guy who's a free agent who some giants fans don't like because he's not the fastest guy in the world, but I think he's one of their best tacklers. He had one of the most tackles on, on the New York giants almost every single week. Julian love. Um, it depends on what all these guys want. I was, I was talking to some people and they said Saquon Barkley, if he wants $14 million or more, don't re-sign him. It's like, it's like, come on, like, let's be honest here. If you look at all the free agents for the New York Giants, who is the most in, in, influential, impactful player for the New York Giants? It's Saquon Barkley. You can't tell sure. me that Daniel Jones is more impactful than Saquon Barkley. You're absolutely absurd if you say that. Saquon Barkley is the future of this franchise. You know, the highest I would go for Saquon, and this might be too much of a risk for some people, is $15 million. That is the absolutely max that I'm going for Saquon Barkley. I'd hope to get him at 13. I'd hope to get him at 14. But if 15 is the way it goes, I'm okay with it. The only thing that I'm not okay with is paying Daniel Jones $45 million, which supposedly reports came out, but he switched his agent and who knows, you know, what's going on. I don't think he's asking for $45 million. I think it's just people are trying to, you know, up his price tag. Um, And then Julian Love, I think people are saying if he wants $8 million, let him walk. I think $8 million is, is kind of the max he's at. If he wants 10 or more, I think you kind of let him walk, but I think you got to keep pieces because you need continuity with this roster. I think they need to add, not subtract. And I think there, they, I think there's plenty of moves to be done for the New York giants in the sense of, you know, they can, they can clear so much cap yeah. and they just cleared 6.7 with Gall Galladay, but you can clear, I think upwards of 10 plus more million dollars just on cuts and restructuring contracts. I know they, they have to restructure Leonard Williams's contract because 
Leonard Williams is a good player. Don't get me wrong, but he's not, he's not what he, he's not what he is getting paid. That's absolutely absurd. I, I agree. Number one priority, re-sign Saquon Barkley. He is a reason why we won a lot of those games. And you could say Daniel Jones, you know, made the plays in the position, but Barkley, when we needed him to run out the clock, run out the clock, look at that commander's game, look at the uh, Minnesota game, kept it close. And Barkley is, you know, last year was arguably a top five running back when, you know, he was healthy, you know, healthy the for the game. And he will probably demand a big contract. I mean, he was number two pick and he's, he lived up to expectations the first year, kind of went back down, but now he's up again in stocks. So he's kind of an interesting uh, dilemma. Daniel Jones, great year last year, much improvement. Worked really well with Dable. Um, personally, it would be tough to give him like a $30 million a year contract of 35. Not, you think I $30 mean, million, dollars, you 30 to $35 million is tough? It's tough because you don't know what you're going to get, but I understand that's the market value. I, I do. That's his market value. It's tough because he isn't like anything special. Like He's special, but he's not like a top 10 quarterback. I would and, I would say there's argument that he could be the number eighth best quarterback. Now I'm not saying right. he is the number eighth best quarterback, but if you look at one through seven, they're there. But if you look at the guys that are at that eight mark, it's like Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott. Like he's in he's definitely in that tier after last year. Mm-hmm. I see your point on thirty to thirty five million dollars. I would have said I completely agree with you heading into the, you know, kind of beginning of the season into mid season. But I think after he wins a playoff game, I think the market right now is 35 to uh, $40 million. My max that I would kind of go for him is 37.5. Yeah. It's like that. I mean, look, if that's the number that it is, I'll be happy. I, I like Daniel Jones. Um, and um, I think what we have to do on offense is upgrade at those receiver positions. Like we had Richie James catch a lot oh. of pass. Um you know, Isaiah Hodgins, great, great addition. We signed him, and I think he could be really good, honestly. Um, but, you know, that's not a number one. Right now, our number one is Darius Slayton, <laughs> who is known to drop many passes. Um, he dropped a crucial pass, almost cost us in the playoff game. Um, who's a good player, but not a number one. Not a number one. Uh, Kenny Galladay, we thought was going to be a number one. Didn't turn out to be like that. Um you know, whatever his, his problems were, you know, it didn't end up like that. Um, so honestly, I think the move now is to look at trades. I mean, look at D hop right there, you know, Kyler Murray out for the season. Cardinals might want to, might want to tank, uh, might want to, you know, give a reset season. Um, yeah, I know he's aging, but you know, we have a good core in Barkley and Jones and, you know, they're young. We could always go out and get more, you know, veteran receivers. And you know, we got rid of Tony, which, you know, I, I was I was fine. I was fine with that. You know, it, it was tough because he was drafted the year prior. But, you know, if that system didn't want him in there, then get him out and get someone who will fit that system. Um, we're also lacking that, you know, reliable tight end. I mean, we Daniel Bellinger, great season, but he wasn't in, you know, he was used – as a blocker, a lot of the time we had Chris Myrak a bunch of times. Uh, Cager, you know, it was a it was a revolving revolving door at tight end. 
having like a solid tight end option would be a plus as well. And of course, you know, we let go of Evan Ingram and he has a career season. Um, it's just the Giants way. Um, if, you know, if we kept the same roster as last year, this year, you know, it could be tough to, you know, it could be tough to replicate the same season just because a lot of things went right for us. Um, but I'm still confident in our coaching staff and our in our, our defense. I mean, they were they were really surprising part of it. Our D line was sexy Dexy, Kayvon. Um, we we have there's room to grow with Kayvon and you know, our O line still was not really good last year. So with that said, like if we improve at the right places, I think we could be right where we were, maybe even sneak another another win in the playoffs. Yeah, I think the biggest question mark is wide receiver one. You mentioned D Hop. I'm not a huge fan of D Hop, but I think he might be the best value. Um, you might only have to give up a second round pick. Personally, if you're looking at number one receiver, I know some people like Brandon Ayuk. I don't mind mm-hmm. Brandon Ayuk. I don't love Brandon Ayuk, but I love T Higgins. I think T Higgins um is the perfect fit um at number at, at receiver one, but I think it depends on what you have to give up to get them. That's kind of the biggest concern for me. I look at this roster offensively. I think it's there's a lot of holes. Uh, quarterback is a question mark. I'm not saying it's a hole because we have Daniel Jones question mark, Saquon mm-hmm. Barkley question mark. I think we Gary Brightwell as the backup is. Eh, I don't. I I don't know. I I think backup running back could be a need. Um, I think it's offensive guard and offensive center are the biggest needs um, for the Giants if they're able to re-sign Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. But I think wide receiver is a need, but I think you can get it in the draft. I don't think it's necessarily like we got to spend, you know, a first-round pick and, you know, trade for T. Higgins and do all that. I think the depth is kind of there at wide receiver. We just haven't got lucky with injuries, but I think we can be better at receiver. Um, Mm -hmm. tight end is the biggest tight end is a question mark for me because I feel like Bellinger is a solid tight end. He's nothing special. And I think depending on how the draft goes, if you see Michael Mayer there at 25 tight end from Notre Dame, I'm a huge fan of Michael Mayer. I think, you know, if the, if your receiver that you don't love is there, because I think in this draft, the linebackers, which I think might be the biggest need for the New York Giants, that is the weakest position um, in the first round. Linebackers, so I don't think you draft a linebacker. Offensive guards, I don't think are going to – there's not really an offensive guard I love. There's more tackles who could move to guard, and those guys are going to be, you know, picked before, before 25. But Giants could trade up. I think there's a couple guys you trade up for. Um, if you want to trade up, I think it's for Quentin Johnson, wide receiver from TCU, um, or you trade up and you get Peter uh, Skrnowski, offensive lineman from Northwestern. He has played tackle for the most of his career, but he has moved into guard. I think he's a perfect fit at left guard. I like our tackles. I think they're going to develop. I think Evan Neal just had a bad season. Um, that's kind of the offense. I think, I think the biggest question mark on the defense is what are you going to do? You know, you look at the roster defensively. We were a good defense last year, a good Mm -hmm. defense last year. If you look at the players on the defensive side, we are not a good defense. 
we are a below average defense. If you're looking strictly at the players, Julian Love at Adoree Jackson, in my opinion, um, is not a number one one. He can be a number one B, a number one C, but to me, he's more of a number two corner. He played like a number one in Wink's defense. Julian Love is a good safety, but he's like just like solid. He's nothing like too too special. McKinney McKinney is just been to me kind of disappointing. Um, I think he needs a step forward, and if he doesn't have have a step forward this year, I think he could be on the move, traded or released or cut or whatever they do with him. Their defensive line, in my opinion, is overrated. Leonard Williams is overpaid. Dexter Lawrence had one good year. To me, I compare Dexter Lawrence kind of to Daniel Jones in the sense that they haven't done that well, but all of a sudden this coaching staff came together and they had a great season. Um, but I love Kayvon Thibodeau. I think he's I think he might be the best defender on that defense. That might sound crazy to you, but I think he has the ability to be an elite pass rusher. My my biggest question mark with the Giants is linebacker. I, I you can say that I want a number one receiver, but we have our quarterback, we have our running back. You saw what Daniel Jones was able to do with terrible receivers. He was able to play pretty solid. Um, but mm-hmm. I think if you get a linebacker an elite linebacker. Don't get me wrong. I don't mind Jalen Smith, but he missed a lot of tackles last season. I don't consider him to be now a starting, you know, player. I think he could be like a, you know, come in for like one down for an entire drive or two, two we downs. We still have Gerard Davis from uh, the, when we picked him up for that, like couple of games on the stretch. Yeah, but he's not that good either. I mean, they just need, to me, they need linebackers. I don't know where you find them. I like Edmonds. Um, in free agency, I think that's the guy they have to get. But I think you can't just go out and get Edmonds. You kind of have to figure out, you know, I want Saquon. Let's say we go Saquon fifteen. Daniel Jones, do you do do you do you do forty? Do you well, do you, well, the thing is, do you do forty million dollars? That's the biggest question mark. If you don't do Daniel Jones, I think you do Edmonds because Edmonds is gonna be less. But I'm not sure the Giants are able to pay you know, Daniel Jones, Edmonds, Saquon Barkley, and still have a sufficient roster around them re-signing, you know, Julian Love and other free agents. That's the biggest question mark for me for the Giants. Well, my question to you is if, you know, the Giants go out and get Barkley, they get Love, they get Edmonds, don't have room for Jones, where do they go to? They go to the draft? They go for a cheaper, like Marcus Mariota-type option? It depends on how much. I don't know the cap necessarily. Um, I think you could do Derek Carr. Um, I'm not sure how much money that is. Um, I think Carr is going to be five to ten million dollars less than Daniel Jones wherever he signs. Money from the Raiders, though. Well, he he he'll be getting some, so he's not going to be asking for as much, but he's still going to get at least thirty million dollars. But I think he's going to get like five to ten million dollars less than whatever Daniel Jones gets. So that could be an option depending on the salary cap. Um, I worry about him in New York, but I think he's still a good, solid, you know, quarterback. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough to say. Um, really, Aaron Rodgers is out there. I don't want Rodgers personally because of the cap and everything going on. I just don't think that's realistic. Uh, Lamar Jackson's out there, but you're not going to do that. You're going to have to completely gut your entire roster to, you know, surround him with pieces that work with him. Right. Um, there's another receiver I like who could be a free agent and you could get him. 
you know, I think Sterling Shepard on a minimum deal is perfect. But I think if you don't get someone, yeah, and if you don't get someone, you know, in in like free agency for like a big receiver or you don't get someone in the draft as a receiver. Personally, I think Corey Davis might be the answer just to add more depth in there, because if you look at the receivers for the New York Giants, none of them have big bodies. But Mm. quarterback position to me is the toughest. Um, You could say get a Jacoby Brissett, get a Marcus Mariota. Um, I think, honestly, Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy. I'm not sure I love that, but I think it's an option that I'm okay with. I think, I think honestly, if you're the New York Giants and you cannot re-sign Daniel Jones and you do exactly what I said, you get Barkley, you get Love, you get Edmonds and, you know, kind of fill the entire roster, but you don't have enough room for Daniel Jones, you call the San Francisco 49ers, okay? And say, mm-hmm. okay, personally, I like both quarterbacks. I like Trey Lance and I like Brock Purdy. So I say, okay, San Francisco, who who's your starting quarterback? Who's your starting quarterback? Right. If they say Trey Lance is their starting quarterback, I'll trade for Brock Purdy. They say Trey Lance is their starter, I'll trade for, you know, I'll 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 go Trey Lance, depending on who they go with. Personally, I like both quarterbacks. I like Brock Purdy a little bit more than Trey Lance. I like Brock mm. Purdy more than most people do, but I think I'm okay with either quarterback. Um, and I yeah. think that I think that's the perfect solution for the New York Giants if you can't re-sign Daniel Jones and you don't like the free agents out there. Well, you could say, you know, Jimmy G's probably you know the quarterback three in that room. Um, but he's still a reliable quarterback. Oh and yeah, you could definitely get him for cheap. And because the Niners have no leverage, because they have two other calibers quarterbacks. So if, if, you know, if they're worth doing a deal and, you know, Lance Purdy off limit, you know, they're going to battle it out training camp. You know, the Niners always have bad luck with injuries. They want to have both on the roster. Scooping Garoppolo for, you know, minimal amount in return. Well, Garoppolo is a free agent, so it would just be money. So we would be good there. So it's, it's, it's an easy decision there, but I think – I think it depends. I think Garoppolo might have more suitors because he's in free agency. And I mm. think, I think at some point I have, I just have a sneaky suspicion that the 49ers are kind of waiting. They might wait till after the draft to see if there's a team that needs a quarterback. And that's when they mm. would trade Purdy or Lance. I've been hearing reports that the jets love Ryan Tannehill. So he could go to the jets and then I've heard reports that the Titans love Malik, that, that the Titans obviously have Malik Willis, but they love Trey Lance. So, you know, how how does how did, how would that situation kind of go? If that happens, let's say Tannehill to the Jets, and let's say uh, Trey Lance to the Titans. In that scenario, I think that opens up a free agent quarterback to go to the Giants. But if it doesn't, Malik Willis is there. Malik Willis was terrible last year, but you look at the Titans, like how good has Ryan Tannehill been with the Titans? Maybe average, maybe average for Tannehill. I mean, it's, it's tough to say. So I think, I think whatever happens, I think the Giants are in a good spot. I just think they need to figure out what's more important to them. Do they want to re-sign Daniel Jones or do they want to supplement this roster? Because I think whatever you do, Daniel Jones is going to cost a lot of money. I just don't see, paying Daniel Jones for more than four years max. But I think person, I think perfect situation. You re-sign Daniel Jones, you re-sign Saquon Barkley, you re-sign Julian Love and you get Edmonds and you kind of figure it out receiver tight end. I say 
you know, I'm, I'm not going to say best case scenario because I think best case scenario is you trade for a receiver and you get a tight end. So I think mm-hmm. that's not happening, but I say you, you draft Michael Mayer um, in the first round and then you re-sign Sterling Shepard. You add Corey Davis to the wide receiver room. Yes, you can say all you want that we don't have a wide receiver one. And But re- realistically, do you see the Giants making the Super Bowl next year? No. So I don't think you need that wide receiver one right now. I think you just got to continue to develop your guys. And I think at some point, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, one of those guys is going to become frustrated that they haven't got their contract yet. And I think that's when you make a trade and get one of those guys. Right, it's gonna be tough for the the Bengals or the Niners to pay because you know they're the Bengals are gonna pick Jamar Chase, um, and yeah, yeah. the Niners already got Debo a contract, and you know it's funny how you say Higgins and Edmonds, those guys I signed first in franchise for the Giants on Madden, you know when they become available, so you know is do the Giants have this opportunity to you know have that dream team with cap space in the next coming years. It could fall into their laps, but it's also, like you said, will they be in the Super Bowl next year? No. Like, the, the Eagles are going to be there. The Niners are going to be there. Um, and I feel like the AFC is just overall much stronger in terms of the heavyweights. So, Like, I think if the Giants get Daniel Jones, re-sign Saquon Barkley, get Edmonds, fill pieces around, and trade for G. Higgins, and let's say they also draft – well, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the- if they get if they get T Higgins, they're probably trading up their first round pick this year, so they're probably not going to get a tight end. But like, if you get Edmonds, you get T Higgins, you re-sign pieces around, and you get Daniel Jones, and you get Saquon Barkley. Like, is this team still in the like? Are they in Super Bowl contention? The answer is no. Like, I don't think this team is a Super Bowl contention, even with added those pieces, because you still have holes like to fill offensive line. Um, guard play, center play. You don't have a wide receiver one. Uh, you still need help on that defense. Yes, you got a middle linebacker, but your other linebackers aren't very good either besides Kayvon Thibodeau. Right. And is Kayvon Thibodeau an outside linebacker? Is he an edge rusher? You know, I think he's more of both in that sense where you can play both, but you need more than, you know, just Kayvon Thibodeau, let's be honest here. Right. Right. I mean, it was – you know, a great year last season. And, you know, in regards of who else is in their division, I mean, the Cowboys are always going to be there. You know, even if they don't perform in the playoffs, they always are a pretty good regular season team. The Eagles holding penalty call short, some could say. And commanders, people always think they're going to, you know, bounce back and have a good season. So the Giants is going to be uh, another uh, – Interesting season. I you know I would love to see what they do. Um in a draft. I mean draft is in a couple months. Um and hopefully they could, you know, get these is these deals do these deals done soon with Barkley and Jones because they gotta focus on them first because that kind of maps the rest of their offseason. And so obviously, you know, the trade deadline, you know, happened for the NBA. Uh there was a lot of moves. Um people say a lot of the moves surprised them. Um, to me, nothing really, you know, stunned me. I mean, Kyrie went to the Mavs. That was a surprise. Um, Eric Gordon, you know, got traded as well. But, like, so many pieces got traded, but I don't think there was really one stunning moment besides Kyrie Irving. 
going to the Mavs because if you saw Kyrie going to the Mavs, you could kind of tell that Kevin Durant was going to get traded and where was he going to get traded? It was kind of obvious he was going to go to, you know, Phoenix, especially after the Phoenix owner was pushing things to, you know, get past. And I think that was kind of, you know, let's push this now. Let's, let's go for it now with Chris Paul still aging. He's 37 years old and mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. But, you know, I'm going to have your predictions. First of all, who do you like in the NBA right now as not necessarily a sleeper, but kind of a team where they're kind of underrated and people are like not considering them for a title run, but you think they have a good, decent chance to make a title run. Cause I see a lot of teams in the West West that have kind of under the radar and I think they can make a run. Um, This might, this might be controversial, but the number two team in the West, the Grizzlies kind of are underrated for a title run. I mean, I love John Morant, and I'll, I'll tell you, I just got his uh, a, a sports card, his rookie card from a show this past weekend. I love John Morant. I love the Grizzlies. I, I had to cover them for a class assignment once, and they're they're slowly becoming an underrated team. I mean, they've struggled in the pa- in the past uh, month ever since uh, Morant said like I'm firing the West, and then the Suns get KD and. Uh, the Lakers improve on all the fronts. The Clippers sign Russ. Um, but they're still a, a top team in the NBA. Jo- John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. healthy now. He was, you know, he was out for the first couple. Uh, he was up and down the first couple months of the season. And you know, they 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 are a core. I mean, they've been together for the past couple of seasons and improving each year. You know, they had that chemistry, they're developing it, and they took the Warriors last year six, seven games. In the playoff, I think it was six games, and that 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 team, you know, the the Warriors end up winning the finals, and I think you know they they're in Memphis, so they don't have you know that much uh, you know, I would say national attention, um, but they're getting they're getting slept on in this in this West, even though they're the number two two team right now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Memphis is that team. Um, I think John Morant is a top five point guard in the NBA right now. I think he's could arguably be the next Russell Westbrook when Russell Westbrook was in his prime, that elite athleticism, you know, being able to dunk. The only thing I kind of worry with job Morant is his three point shooting ability, but I think he'll get there at some point. I think he, he's a triple double. I think he can get a triple double any night. I know he hasn't done it that often, but I think he can do it any night. He can rebound. He can pass. I think he's one of the best point guards. And I think he could be one of the best players in the game sooner rather than later. I also love Jaron Jackson Jr. You usually don't see a power forward who can shoot the three ball like he can. 6'10", 6'11", guy who can shoot the three. It's not that it's not, you know, usual, but from his body type, it's usually not that usual just because of how he plays. But he can set picks. He can roll off. I also... You know, love the Dallas Mavericks. I think the addition of Kyrie Irving, you can say all you want about the controversy and that Kyrie is a, you know, pain in the ass and whatnot, but Kyrie Irving is an excellent basketball player. And you pair him with Luka, I'm a little bit worried on the chemistry. Things seem to be going so far so good. That's the only thing I kind of worry about. But if you have two stars like that, I think you're definitely going to be in contention. I feel like they're under the radar. I love Luka Doncic. I think he is the best player player in all of basketball right now. And you can say all you want that he's not. I think he is, and I think it's 
not that it's not even close, but I think it's it's it shouldn't be up for discussion. This guy can shoot the three, he can pass, he can be a point guard, he can be the small forward, he can do whatever you want, basically. He's the best player in basketball right now. A team that surprises me the most so far all season long has been the Sacramento Kings. There's yeah. not somebody on that team that I really love, um, but they got decent players. De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, like those are decent players. Devontae Sabonis, solid players, but nobody really wows me to an extent, but obviously they're doing something right. Um, I just look at this, and I feel like the Clippers, everybody says they're going to be good every year. They choke. I think they will be decent this this time in the playoffs, like at least win a game and maybe lose, but I think they'll do better than they have um, in the past. I just worry about, you know, what's going to happen to the Clippers next year and years past after, you know, getting Paul George and you have Ka- Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You have Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook's aging. He's not the same player as he used to be. To me, it's the biggest concern right there. And I think the Eastern Conference is pretty much up for grabs. I think it's the Milwaukee Bucks, Philadelphia 76ers. And you look at the other teams, you know, right now, Brooklyn is sitting at the number six seed. I think they're going to fall off a cliff. Um, But I love uh, Mikael Bridges for the Brooklyn Nets. That's their only player right now. The New York Knicks are right now at seed five to me it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see the Knicks at five they have a tough matchup against the Cleveland Cavaliers uh if you look at all those teams Milwaukee Celtics 76ers and Cavs you can say all you want that the you know Celtics are the best team in the Eastern Conference but out of those four teams I would want to face the Celtics over the 76ers the Bucks or the Cavaliers Mm. that might be a hot take but I, I rather face the Celtics than any of the other teams. No, especially right now. I mean, I don't know about the Cavs, but the Bucks and Sixers, they seem to know, you know, what works for them. Um, the Sixers, Harden's, um, no, not the same guy, but he's been utilized in a really great way. Joel Embiid is a monster. And the Bucks, you know, you got Giannis, you know, they got they got Drew Holiday, Chris Met- Chris Middleton. They've won a chip before, you know, they got that on their back. Um, the Knicks, they've hey, they've been They've been doing pretty good lately, eight into their last 10. They're surging, you know, could they maybe catch the Cavs eventually? They keep it going, they could. Um, but that 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 four or five, uh, that five seed is tough because, you know, you're right, you are facing the Cavs. And, you know, we saw them face the Hawks in the same in similar situation and lose in the first round a couple of years ago. Um, but the East, I mean, you know, you're right, the Nets are going to fall and then the Heat are back where, you know, back in a good spot. The Hawks, is that, I mean, the Bulls are able to sneak in or the Pacers with Tyrese Halberton. Um, We'll have to see. And with the, you know, going back to, you know, Clippers, I have to, I'll let you know, Russell Westbrook was one of my favorite players, you know, when watching. And, you know, I get a lot of interesting looks when I say that, but you know, I just, I just, I just admired when, when he, KD left him, Harden, how he took the team on his back, you know, his whole why not, you know, persona, rocking the baby, you know, I like that a lot. And, you know, I always rooted for Russ after that. And he was a pretty good sixman for the Lakers before they got rid of him. Um, you know, he probably wasn't the best fit with them, but he's played with Paul George before. Um, Kawhi Leonard, you know, doesn't play every night. And, you know, load management's been a big topic. So uh, I think Russ could fit. Pretty nice with the Clippers. He had a great first game when they went to over double overtime against the Kings. And I I don't necessarily like your Mavs pick as like a sleeper team. You know they 
I think they're just Kyrie and Luca, and that's pretty much it. And that's you know that's going to be their downfall. Is you know if one of them has a bad shooting night, it's going to be typical Mavs. You know they're going to play well if Luca drops forty. You know that's how they that's how they won playoff games in the past. Luca drops thirty five, has a triple double. Um, if Kyrie could you know drop thirty as well, I mean hey that helps a lot. But still like their defense is going to struggle, and there's just other powerhouses in the West that I don't think they're going to overcome in seven games and. I think it, it could work on a night-to-night basis in the regular season, but in the seven-game series, it's not really in the Mavericks' favor. Um, I'm going to say right now that the Nuggets are going to be a tough team to beat in the playoffs. I mean, like I've said with the Grizzlies, they have been a core for a while now. You'll kick Jamal Murray. Um, adding Aaron Gordon in the last season, I think, has been a good plus for them. Um, and... You know, Jokic might win his third straight MVP, which is kind of wild. Um, I don't think he necessarily should. I mean, there's Tatum's been going off. Depends how the Celtics finish. But, I mean, Jokic could get 20 rebounds and 40 points and assist 13, have 13 assists in one night. It's tough to stop that. It would be interesting for a Nuggets Bucks finals to see like a Jokic Giannis matchup to ultimately think it's going to be that. No, I think more. I think more it would be ideal like if I could pick a finals matchup you know not based on any type of record you know or what I actually think is going to happen I think a Grizzlies um a Grizzlies Celtics final would be pretty sick to like on the younger side teams going at it would be dope yeah I think it's gonna be interesting to see what happens in the NBA season I think NBA is kind of under the radar in all of sports, just based on the fact of it happens kind of in the middle of everything. And now it's kind of the only sport that's going on right now, but college basketball is coming around its corner for March madness. So it should be interesting to see what happens there. Yes, sir. Of course. All right, guys. And thank you, Jared, for, you know, being with me on episode 34 of Derek's discussions. Do you have any last words for our listeners out there? Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, shout out Centerfield Maris, shout out NY Fly Zone, uh, inconsistent podcast, but talk Giants and Jets if you want to listen to that. Um, shout out Fans View app. I work there now. It's an app where you can interview players, bid money, interview live players. We have Drew Holiday coming up, Marcus Smart. Um, and yeah, just keep having fun, keep living life, and uh, let's go Mets.